Caldwell Madison Review, episode 67, for Thursday, October 26th, 2017, the only podcast in the world willing to not shut off one, but two refrigerators for your audio quality purposes. Um, welcome to the show. So this is, uh, we're trying a new format here. We're, we're going to try to go to video, see how this turns out. That opening song you heard was There It Is by Kevin McLeod. Uh, and you can check out his website for, uh, or his website in Copatech.com for royalty-free music and graph paper. And in fact... Since we're on video now, I do. I have a I have an example. I, I finally printed out graph paper. It's free, and it's it's a generator, and you can do all kinds of. I don't know if you can see that. Really. Right there. I don't know. I don't use graph paper myself. I don't have a. Well, I'm not in math class. That's the only time I ever use it, or that, or maybe drawing something. I was going to use in Mario Paint. You know what, though? The lines come in handy for making paper airplanes. That's the most productive thing I can think to do with graph paper. You might have other... Many other uses for it. If you do music, if you do math, or drawing, or if you just like squares. There we go. There we go. See, you got the graph paper. You make your lines nice and nice and even. Okay, anyway. The last show was I think Thursday. Um and I and I said I was going to do a video show the next day. Uh, however, there was some uh, this and that, getting everything ready. So, a lot of interesting things in the news today and uh, and over the week. Uh, one of the big stories going around is the whole Russian dossier thing, some new developments there. So, this company, Fusion GPS, uh, they hired to do this investigation. Uh, and then it was later picked up apparently by the the Clinton campaign and they and this whole uh, Steele Christopher Steele person came into the show. So let's look at this article uh, on the Washington Times. It's by Dave Boyer. Article titled "FEC Complaint Accuses Clinton Campaign DNC of Violating Campaign Finance Law with." Dossier payments. Hillary Clinton's campaign and Democratic National Committee violated campaign finance law by failing to disclose payments for a dossier on Donald Trump, according to a complaint filed Wednesday with the Federal Election Commission. The complaint from the nonprofit Campaign Legal Center said the Democrats effectively hid payments from public scrutiny, contrary to the requirements of federal law. By law, campaign and party committees must disclose the reason money is spent and its 
recipient. Quote, by filing misleading reports, the DNC and Clinton campaign undermined the vital public information role of campaign disclosures, said Adav Noti, I'm probably pronouncing that incorrectly, Senior Director of Trial Litigation and Strategy at CLC and former FEC official, quote, voters need campaign disclosure laws to be enforced so they can hold candidates accountable for how they raise and spend money. FEC must investigate this apparent violation and take appropriate action. So I guess this article kind of alludes to that they didn't disclose it. Article goes on to say, towards the end, the Clinton campaign and the DNC funded the effort until October or the end of October 2016, just days before the election. Quote, questions who about who paid for the dossier are subject of intense public interest. And this is precisely the information that the FEC reports are supposed to provide, said Brendan Fisher, director of federal and FEC reform at CLC. Payments by a campaign or one-party committee to an opposition research firm are legal, as long as those payments are accurately disclosed. But describing payments for opposition research as legal services is entirely misleading and subverts the reporting requirements. And uh, there's another article I wanted to bring up real quick regarding this. And and this goes back to the whole outrage thing, because you remember the... Donald Trump Jr. thing, uh, and they were like, oh, you know, this is a collusion with Russia, because he, he met with, um, uh, he had a, a meeting arranged with, with somebody that he thought had, you know, some kind of dirt on Clinton, it didn't turn out to be the case, but uh, however, people were all up in arms about this, and uh, and. As expected, you can you can see that you know these certain uh, certain media that was reporting on that and using and kind of littering the article here and there with words like treason and Russian collusion and all this other stuff. Well, uh, there is a much different tone, uh, but of course, you know, on the conservative side, you're going to get the more uh, I guess, outrage <laughs> version of the story. Whereas on, you know, the Democrat side, uh, you know, they're they're going to maybe brush this off a little bit where they wouldn't have for Trump. I wonder how that works. Okay, so this article here, this is an article on uh, news.grabian.com. Flashback. How the media went hysterical over Don Jr.'s willingness to accept Russian dirt on Hillary. The Washington Post blockbuster report that the Hillary Clinton campaign in partnership with the DNC hired uh, the firm that utilized gossip from various unnamed Russian government officials to create the so-called Trump dossier marks a key turning point into the investigation into Russia's attempt at influencing America's politics. The D.C. not only accepted the second-hand uncorroborated uh, information, but actually sought it out, financed it, and disseminated it through Washington. Now, rewind the clock to July after the New York Times 
reported that Donald Trump Jr. had been approached by a mysterious Russian lawyer with an offer of dirt on Clinton. So it's kind of going into what I said. You know, I didn't actually read that Washington Post article. So I kind of got like the whole aftermath of this. Let me let me jump into the Washington Post real quick. You know, I don't honestly think that there's going to be a ton that's going to come out of this story. I don't. I could be wrong. I don't know how much time I want to spend on it. This stuff it goes nowhere. It's all you know. Everything they try to make everything um, to be the be all end all of uh, whoever. Yeah, Clinton campaign. DC paid for research that led to Russian. Dossier. They got a video too. Maybe I'll play the video. Um, let's see. Hillary Clinton campaign and the Democrat National Committee helped fund research that resulted in now famous dossier. Uh, again, more of the same that the other articles are saying. Mark E. Elias, a f- lawyer representing the Clinton campaign and the DSC, retained Fusion GPS, a Washington firm, to conduct research. After that, Fusion GPS hired. Dossier author Christopher Steele, a former British intelligence officer with ties to the FBI and the U.S. intelligence community, according to those people who spoke on the condition of anonymity, anonymity, (laughs) who spoke on the condition of anonymity, Elias, and his law firm Perkins Coey, I'm not sure if I'm spelling it, it's uh, something like this, retained the company in April 2016 on behalf of the Clinton campaign and the DNC before the agreement Fusion GPS's research into Trump was funded by an unknown Republican client during the GOP primary. Uh, Further down the article, Trump tweeted recently Saturday that the Justice Department and the FBI should immediately release who paid for it. I'm guessing on the premise that they didn't report it. Not that the actual act was illegal, although when Trump was doing the act, the uh, many of the media seemed to suggest you know it was illegal or shady and, and all this other stuff. All this collusion. This and that. And this is all coming on the news about this whole uranium stuff too, and I'll, I'll probably get into that. Uh, however... Let me let me look at this. Oh, there's this other article here from Newsweek. Who is Tony Podesta, Russia probe investigating brother of Hillary Clinton campaign chair? This article says the latest subject of special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation into alleged Russian interference into 2016 U.S. election is a Democrat Democratic lobbyist and the brother of chairman of Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign, John Podesta. Tony Podesta and his lobbying company, the Podesta Group, is now being investigated after ties were discovered with Paul Manafort, the former chairman of the Donald Trump presidential, uh, excuse me, presidential campaign. Sources told NBC News. Mueller has four months, uh, or ha- has for months been. Mueller has for months been investigating Manafort. That grammar doesn't sound weird, or it doesn't sound right. Mueller has for months been investigating? Mueller has for months been investigating Manafort. I don't know. 
Who led Trump's campaign between June and August 2016? FBI agents raided his Virginia home in July, seizing documents and other materials. The Podesta Group was one of several firms that worked on a Manafort-led campaign for a nonprofit called the European Center of Modern Ukraine. The campaign promoted Ukraine's image of in the West, was reported to be backed by the party of Regency, pro-Russian political party in Ukraine that was previously led by former Ukrainian President Viktor Yanukovych. Koivich. Okay, so the article says uh, Mueller's team was originally on a fact-finding mission about the ECMU and Manafort's role in the campaign, but now is looking into whether the Podesta Group may have violated the Foreign Agents Registration Act, FARA, which requires people or companies that lobby on behalf of foreign governments or political parties to file disclosures with the Justice Department. The group describes itself as top-ranked top bipartisan team of global public affairs specialists. Organization has worked in various Democratic presidential campaigns, and Tony Podesta had close ties with the White House under former President Barack Obama. Sounds pretty bipartisan to me. Dossier. Now, was I saying dossier before? Here's an article on, and I'll start out with this NPR one. House Republicans launched new investigations into Clinton email probe. And this is from October 24th. The last updated, then anyway. Uh, Article on NPR by Miles Parks. House Republican leaders on Capitol Hill said they will be launching... Two new investigations into Hillary Clinton on Tuesday, keeping alive a pair of storylines that have fueled anger with the party base. One is a project aimed at looking into the FBI's decision not to prosecute Clinton for her use of a private email server while she was Secretary of State. Less than an hour later, the chairman of House Intelligence Committee said he would look into Clinton's role in a 2010 uranium deal. That has become a favorite attack line by then-candidate Donald Trump. Intelligence Committee Chairman Devin Nunes said he wants, to, uh, he wants the committee to find out what role Russia played in the agreement, in which a U.S. government panel that included Clinton, then-Secretary of State, gave the green light to the sale of uranium mining company to a Russian one. Clinton's enemies later charged that Clinton's foundation received pay-for-play donations from Russians in in the matter, a claim that fact-checkers have debunked. So this article is saying that the Clinton Foundation did not receive donations from Russians in the matter. Let's see, it says, uh, Washington Post fact checker. Last year, there's no evidence Clinton herself got involved in the deal personally and is highly question questionable that the deal even rose to the level of Secretary of State. So, <laughs> the Post gave Trump four Pinocchios. Not only if the Washington Post... Uh, Put, a, put as much fact-checking scrutiny on uh, all sides of the 
aisle. <sighs> Let's see. Here's Newsweek. What we know about the Russian uranium scheme involving Clinton and Obama. The Obama administration and then Secretary of State Clinton have risen to the center of controversy over a 2010 nuclear deal. They handed Russia control of 20% of the U.S. uranium supply. The Uranium One deal has been referred to as a Russian nuclear bribery scheme and some similar names since the government documents surfaced last week showing the FBI has a, uh, substantial evidence of racketeering by the by Russian officials before the Obama administration approved the deal. So what happened in the deal in October 2010? The State Department and other agencies in the committee on foreign investment in the United States unanimously approved the partial sale of Uranium One, a Canadian mining company to the Russian nuclear giant Rosatom, vastly expanding Russian President Vladimir Putin's footprint inside the U.S. atomic energy industry. So it says, FBI agents and a confidential informant made secret recordings, gathered records, and intercepted emails as far back as 2009, which showed Russian officials had compromised an American uranium tracking, trucking firm with bribes and kickbacks. The Department of Justice did not bring charges until 2014. We have a tweet here by Senator John Brasso says, in 2010 and again in 2015, I raised the alarm to President Obama about Uranium One deal and Russia controlling U.S. Uranium. Uh, and it says, how is Clinton involved in this Newsweek article? Clinton served as CFIUS, which is the uh, Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, when the Interagency Committee voted in favor of the Uranium One deal and the FBI and the informant prior to the deal going through, also obtained documents and an eyewitness account that Russian officials routed millions of dollars to the U.S. benefiting the charitable foundation of her husband, former President Bill Clinton. So here, this article saying that the Clinton Foundation got a bunch of money right before this happened. And that NPR article, if you just remember, it's a couple... Uh, minutes back there uh, said it, claims were debunked that she received any money for this. Now NPR and Washington Post are typically on the same side of the conversation here. President Donald Trump on Wednesday chimed in and reports that House Intelligence Committee would also open an investigation. I think the uranium sale to Russia and the way it has done was so underhanded with tremendous amounts of money being passed, Trump said. I think that uh, it's that's Watergate modern age. So, uh, interesting. Uh, so, since Washington Post gave all this four Pinocchios and NPR seems to agree, uh, they're still opening the investigation. So, I, apparently there's something still there. Let's see what Fox News has to say. Uranium One probe order... To lift gag on Russia, informant came from Trump, source says. So, maybe they're right. Maybe this is uh, just more political stuff going back and forth. You know, this whole uranium... You know, I, I just kind of doubt... I just kind of doubt anybody's going to jail over any of these stories I covered so far. 
in this uh, show here. The directive of, okay, so continue with this article on Fox News here. The directive for the Justice Department to lift gag order on a former FBI informant involved in a high-profile Russia bribery case came from President Trump himself, a source told Fox News. On Wednesday night, DOJ announced it had cleared the individual to speak to Congress about Moscow's Obama-era uranium deals in the U.S. market and other schemes. A source said that the order to release the confidential information, or the confidential informant rather, came directly from Trump, though who actually made the final call is unclear. The well-placed source familiar with the decision-making process pushed back, saying the decision was made entirely by senior officials inside the DOJ. GOP lawmakers specifically want to hear what the informant knows about how a controversial uranium deal with a Russian firm was okayed in 2010, despite the fact the FBI for months had been probing a subsidiary in the bribery case, and what, if any, efforts were made to influence the Obama administration and the Clintons. So a lot of these articles, they say this is, you know, one of Trump's attacking points. One of the major one of the major pieces of media that was that kind of put this story out into the mainstream was the uh, documentary called Clinton Cash book rather not documentary by uh, Peter Schweizer so it'll be interesting to see where this goes though I don't know how many fireworks we're going to see I know a lot of people get their hopes up they want to see people Politicians get thrown in jail. There's nothing more fun than that. <laughs> well, I mean, not if you like the politician, but you know what I mean. I'm going to move on here. No more uh, move on from Clinton stuff, at least. Well, we'll see. Oh, here we go. And with all this, this kind of the whole Trump-Russia collusion thing, um, it's kind of funny, I guess, you know, the... Uh, it's kind of switching now. It's kind of switching from Trump-Russia collusion, you know, to Clinton-Russian collusion now. But what do we have here? Uh, protester breaches security as Trump enters Capitol. A protester managed to breach security at the Capitol building Tuesday as President Donald Trump arrived for lunch with Republican senators who talked tax reform. This is a article on the Daily Caller. The protester, who some reporters have identified as Ryan Clayton, the president of Americans Take Action, began yelling from within the press gaggle before throwing Russian flags on the floor as Trump passed. Trump is treason, Clayton yelled. This is not about tax reform. It says it is unclear how Clayton was able to make it into the press area he would need a valid credentials in order to get past capital security quote this is a very unusual breach of decorum for us to experience here so i don't know was was this something staged did somebody let him in to do this was this like a diversion thing i I wonder how many people really think i mean other than these people that kind of live in the the bubble the you know, Hollywood or media, mainstream media bubble, it really still think that 
Trump is colluding with Russia to do something sinister here. When every one of these stories just keeps getting shot down, but the media just it just keeps going with it. It's getting so sick of talking about Russia. I've said it over and over and over again. And, it, you know, it's working. I think that's why they're doing it. They keep bringing up Russia because it's working. You know, a lot of people who do not like Trump, that are, like, very opposed to his presidency, uh, they like to hold on to whatever they can to try to delegitimize him as a president. Saying he doesn't belong there. Russia got him in. He... Didn't win the popular vote. Everything he does is treason. President shouldn't tweet. <laughs> so we need to impeach him now. Uh, let's move on. I didn't read this one. There's actually another article in the New York Post. This It starts out with it turns the, out the Obama administration. Knew that Russians were engaged in bribery, kickbacks, and extortion in order to gain control of U.S. atomic resources, yet still okayed the 2010 deal to give Moscow control of one-fifth of American uranium this week. So, post-editorial board, that's another, that's an older article if you want to look into that. Well, of course, the Donald Trump and the, the Gold Star Widow story still in the news. Don Lemon reads this open letter to him on, on the air. Let's, let's get a little bit of this. This is CNN Tonight. I'm Don Lemon. Today when I woke up and saw the emotional interview with the grieving Gold Star Widow, Maisha Johnson, my heart was broken, like most of you. And then moments later, the president tweeted, and I was shocked. I felt compelled to write an open letter to President Trump. And I want to share that letter with you right now. All right, let's, let's see what, what Trump tweeted, though. <clears throat> so this is an article on the 24th. I believe he is referring to this tweet. It says, I had a very respectful conversation with the widow of Sergeant LaDavid Johnson. And spoke his name from the beginning without hesitation. So that's that's this tweet that uh, Don Le Don Lemon saw here, I believe. So let's continue. Dear Mr. President, I've interviewed you multiple times. You've introduced me to your family. You've also criticized me publicly, both in front of cameras and on Twitter, calling me hateful, dumb, a lightweight. Some of your friends have suggested you expected better of me, and I'm not sure why you'd expect anything other than fairness and facts first. We know you get a lot of your news from TV. Several of your friends and supporters have told me you watch this show. So since I have this platform, I'd like to speak to you personally right now. I feel compelled to do that after this latest controversy with the widow of Sergeant LaDavid Johnson. <clears throat> Your tweet this morning essentially yeah, called her a liar. Okay. Um, I 
Not necessarily. Trump's giving his side of the story. Um, usually, when you have two sides of a story, they can differ. Um, generally, the truth is somewhere in the middle. It doesn't mean both people are liars, but we'll, we'll move on here. Mr. Trump, please stop it. Please stop. Okay, you're asking him... Think of what Sergeant Johnson would want. You're asking him to not give his side of the story. Some people wouldn't. Uh, and that's their choice. I'm not, I'm not going to tell Donald Trump whether to do that or not, uh, but I'm not going to say that he can't. You are putting his widow in the terrible position of having to fight for her dignity when she should be concentrating on taking care of herself, her health, her two children, and the one on the way. Okay, another thing I'd just like to add, uh, of course she's going through a very hard time right now, and, and, and I agree, she, she should be taking this time to be with her family, grieve, and, and the like. Uh, however, she is making media appearances. Which is going to result in commentary, uh, either about or either about the situation or possibly from people she comments about. So I don't. This isn't all that surprising to me. I mean, we know that Trump tweets. The same thing happened when with the Khan family. Uh, the Khan came out, and I, I think. It, the whole con thing, it, it was, it was pretty, I think it's pretty safe to say that it was an attack came coming out in the, the Democrat National Convention to uh, attack uh, um, the uh, Republican nominee, Trump, and, and to rally support for the Democrat nominee, Clinton. I want you to listen to what Maisha Johnson said this morning. The president said that he knew what he signed up for, but it hurts anyways. And I was, it made me cry because I was very angry at the, the tone of his voice and how he said it. Like he, he, he couldn't remember my husband's name. The only way he remembered my husband's name because he told me he had my husband report in front of him. And that's when he actually said, La David. know you have children. You have two daughters. Can you imagine Ivanka or Tiffany in Maisha's shoes having a fight with the commander-in-chief while they are pregnant and grieving? If Maisha Johnson is mad at you, take it. Just as President Bush and others did. Take it. It's part of what you signed up for when you decided to descend that escalator and throw your hat in the ring for president. You are the commander-in-chief, the president of the United States of America, the greatest country on earth. Act like it. Act like you know that you're big enough not to have to win every fight or respond to every criticism. Act like you know where the high road is. Confident and secure people ask for help all the time and they ask for forgiveness. Insecure people think they know everything and need no help. And I want you to think about this. The only Gold Star families you have attacked are people of color. 
how does that look? Uh, Apologize. <laughs> and I'm gonna... How many, uh, well, I, I don't know. I have a lot of white Gold Star families that attacked Trump. I would guess if they did, Trump would attack back. I could. Am I wrong? Let, let me know. Uh, otherwise, that's, that's completely fair to just kind of drag race into this for no reason at all. Well, let's let's continue. And, and I guess another thing I'd like to say is um, a lot of people would agree with with Don Lemon saying that you know just leave this alone. You have other things on your plate than be than than to give your side of the story of uh, these phone calls. Um, and I believe this this may may have started with this congresswoman. I forget her name right now. Maybe it didn't. Uh, she she was in the car. I think she's the one that kind of sparked the biggest controversy. A lot of people were responding to her, and not not necessarily the Gold Star widow. So that's kind of how this started, and how Trump started responding to all this. Uh, the point I want to make is uh, every everybody, I guess maybe they have their idea of what's presidential and what's not, and it's not surprising that the things that Donald Trump does is not seen as presidential to. Uh, you know, CNN anchors or a lot of people on the left and a lot of people on the right, for that matter. Um, I, I think, it, but I think Trump pretty much proved that uh, their definition of presidential isn't necessarily what he's going to do. He he sees the media as the enemy, as many people on the right do. As I've seen the media as a Distorter of facts, a gatekeeper, uh, selecting facts, omitting certain facts to create a narrative. And I've seen this in the media way before Trump's time. So I would guess that's one of the reasons why Trump goes to Twitter. Because he doesn't feel like anybody's representing him fairly. Or not, nobody mainstream is representing him fairly. fairly so he's going to go out and when he sees these stories... Um, this story particular particularly yes is tragic um you know losing a life losing your husband um but however it also makes the president look pretty bad when you you have a congresswoman and uh, the widow uh saying that he was insensitive or rude and yeah he trump trump gets uh triggered and and he responds that this is how it's going to be and you know probably it's probably going to be like that for uh, four more years after the first term but we'll see about that i'm going to continue on with don lemon's commentary here so you can finish and with some words to help you do that you're welcome to use them and so now i'm going to speak directly to maisha johnson as you should mrs johnson since the president seems incapable of finding the right words, let me speak for the entire country. We are all sorry for what you are going through. All grief is different, and we cannot imagine how deep and profound yours is. We agree with you that LaDavid, your hero husband... And the fact is, she probably is struggling with this, because I, I don't know for sure, but I would kind of doubt... Um, I'm just kind of assuming... Maybe because she was friends with this uh, con congresswoman, uh, who does definitely does not like Trump. But uh, I'm I'm guessing that she didn't like Trump to begin with, so she kind of went in on this. Uh, perhaps, and I've done this before personally. Uh, if somebody that I maybe thought I didn't like or, or whatever, 
I I listen to something that they say and I take it the wrong way because I think they're automatically against me and I and I and I took it the wrong way and I I assumed that they were attacking me and, and they weren't. Um, but I think, you know, that, that could possibly be the case. I didn't listen to the call. Uh, but I, I really, really doubt that Trump would have the nerve to call up a widow uh, of a slain soldier and just be rude. Uh, but I do, I do understand how he could possibly come off as rude, especially to somebody who might have a uh, a negative perception of the president. Was an awesome soldier, a great man, a great American. We know from what has been written about him that he wanted to be someone great, do great things with his life, and he was great, and he did great things. He is a role model to me. When his photos come up on the TV screen or I see them in the newspaper, I am so incredibly proud of him and what he accomplished. And to be extremely candid with you and with the world, as a black man, I'm always looking for role models who look like me. And the latest one I found was your husband, LaDavid. That's gonna may strange. he rest in peace. And may you find peace when you can finally get a good night's sleep, knowing that this is America. We got your back. Believe that. Signed, me. Don Lemon. You shouldn't look for role models based on how you look. You should look on role models that uh, I don't, maybe that accomplish what you want to accomplish, or um, I guess fill a role that, or a or act in a certain way that you would like to aspire to. So I think it's a mistake to look. I I admire uh, all. Not to grandstand and put myself on a pedestal. As a white man, um, I, I look at uh, all, all different people, different, uh, I guess, races or, or ideologies or whatever. Different backgrounds from different countries. Um, people who I think maybe are righteous or... honest and genuine and I guess behave themselves better than I behave myself in, in certain settings. I, I look up to them and regardless of how they look. Now I want to turn now to CNN senior political analyst Mark Preston, political analyst April Ryan, and military analyst Colonel Cedric Layton. Sorry. I'm sorry. I guess he chokes uh, up Welcome there everyone. Gonna... Mark, thank you all for joining us. The whole choking up thing was kind of how was kind of the thing that made it big news. And you know what? I'm gonna take a break here in a minute, but I wanted to. Speaking of this story, um, so this this fallen soldier or sergeant, David Johnson, died in in uh, Niger, where they have about a thousand. Soldiers um, currently, uh, and, and it's a, that's another a, a tragic part of the story is that he wasn't recovered until 48 hours later. So there's a lot of questions about what's going on there. Uh, but an interesting thing that I got wind of was a tweet by Rand Paul. Let me find it here. 
something that's pretty telling about our foreign policy, because a lot of people didn't know that we have a thousand soldiers in Niger right now. So Rand Paul tweets out on October 23rd, You know you're in too many wars in too many places when even warmonger Lindsey Graham can't, tra uh, can't keep track anymore. And as a reference to Lindsey Graham earlier saying that he didn't know about those soldiers. So that's another thing to think about. I don't know. I mean, we have soldiers everywhere. <laughs> there are so many countries in Germany. We have thousands, tens of thousands, I think. Okay, I'm gonna, I think I'm just going to do a couple more stories here so this episode doesn't drag on forever. You know, my, my internet connection is pretty slow. If I I'll try to upload a video... Oh, let's see. I'm going to probably try to downgrade this video size. Um, I have... Uh, if I try to upload a 1080p video that was about six minutes long and it took hours, like probably might have taken up to three hours, maybe even more. So I'm going to try to downgrade. No uh, no 1080p here, definitely no 4K, unless <laughs> unless the video is uh, 30 seconds long for that one. So here's, a, here's an interesting story. On WFTV.com, which is uh, uh, Channel 9 ABC out of Orlando, Florida, and you know there's never any good news that's coming out of Florida. Article by Jeff Deal from October 24th. Some Amazon customers in Orlando got a surprise when they opened up a package that arrived at their doorstep. They ordered plastic storage bins, but the bins came with 65 pounds of marijuana. Quote, we love Amazon and do a lot of shopping on Amazon, said the customer who asked not to be identified for safety reasons. I wonder if they still have it. <laughs> When she and her fiancé needed to uh, put some things in storage, they placed an order for 27-gallon storage totes. That when the packages arrived, they knew something didn't feel right. They were extremely heavy, heavier than you would think from ordering four empty bins. Um, the marijuana was in boxes inside the totes, and as soon as they opened the boxes, they were hit with a strong odor. Uh, it, it has been it, it had been shipped by Amazon's warehouse deals via UPS from a facility in Massachusetts. So I get yeah the total weight of the package was ninety three point five pounds. Quote: We were still pretty fearful our home would be broken into. We didn't sleep there for a few days. So I guess I would be too if I got a package with a whole bunch of marijuana in it. Somebody put it there, and whoever put it there might have taken note of your address. So. Be hard to say, hard, hard to say what to do. And I, and I guess they made the right decision by calling the police. And that's got to be worth so much money. I don't know how much money it's worth, but it's got to be worth a lot. Um, let's see. And the other story, I'm just gonna go over real quick. I saw on on George Report this morning. That thought was kind of funny. Oh yeah, uh, I didn't. I didn't cover this. You know what? I'll probably cover. I'll probably cover. The, I think I'm going to cover this in the next show. The uh, JFK assassination records. Trump ordered those released, so that that should be pretty interesting. I, um, for what I've read, for what I've heard, um, he, Trump was uh, 
requested not to release the stuff, so or or at least omit some of it. So uh, this should be pretty interesting. I hope it, I hope it's pretty interesting anyway. Now, usually when things are declassified from the government, especially around uh, that time, the Cold War time, there was quite the was yeah a combination of the Cold War and the Civil Rights area era, the um, the deep state. They engage in some pretty shady practices, some false flags to start wars, the COINTELPRO to defame the civil rights movement and, and create division in it and all this other stuff. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll get into that again later. Like I said, what, just to close out the show um, uh, <laughs> article on foxnews.com, Ellen DeGeneres gets slammed on Twitter over... Sexist tweet to Katy Perry. And you can see the tweet here. Happy birthday, Katy Perry. It's time to bring out the big balloons. And there's a picture, as you can see, of Ellen DeGeneres looking at Katy Perry's big balloons. Uh, and I don't, know, I don't know who this is. M Megan Kelly or somebody. <laughs> Probably not, but... Um, so I guess there, you know, there's all this fake outrage for this now, because that's what we do. Comedian and daytime talk show host Ellen DeGeneres received some backlash fan from fans after joke about Katie Perry was taken as sexist. So uh, yeah, I don't know. Is it sexist to acknowledge body parts? I suppose I, I don't know. I, I don't know the rules. The rules for sexism change over time. And bigotry and all that other stuff, racism—you never know. You gotta be—you you have to be on the up and up. Uh, the, the star courted outrage on Wednesday after dedicating a tweet to the roar singer on her birthday. In the wake of the re recent Harvey Weinstein scandal, in which DeGeneres was an outspoken critic, <laughs> dedicating part of her show and sharing her thoughts on the hashtag Me Too. Movement, many fans were quick to mention the idea that this tweet wouldn't fly had it, a man posted it. So maybe that's really what the outrage is. Nobody really cares that she did this, uh, but they, they care that if a man tweeted it, and, uh, you know, Ellen DeGeneres, on, an, on another um, note here, she's popular with the so-called left or, or whatever you want to call it. Not a big Trump supporter, more of a Hillary uh, supporter there. So uh, people that that get sick of the you know the racism accusations, the sexism accusations, the this and that accusations, uh, they see this and like, hey, hey, wait a minute, you know, you, you guys can't do this if we can't do it. Let me open up this tweet here. I want to see if I can find any. Maybe she she might have deleted the tweet. Oh no, she didn't. She didn't delete it. That's that's interesting. <laughs> the top comment here, no, not necessarily top. Twitter doesn't necessarily rank these as, as top. They they rank some of the the top ones on the top, if that makes sense. WTF, Ellen Weinstein, totally unacceptable. It's funny, guys. You know, don't don't be out. You know, if you're gonna be outraged, I guess you know if that's your thing, be outraged on both sides. I don't care. Personally, I'm not an Ellen fan. I don't think she should lose her show over this 
sexist tweets. If anything, she should lose her show because it's not entertaining. Oh, there's another person. I have lost respect for Ellen after seeing this. What a terrible example to set for young girls. <laughs> somebody, somebody, somebody posed, reminded me of this. Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton. I, I said I'd stop bringing her up. You know, you know what though? Hold on, hold on. Let's look. October 26th on 2016. Another birthday. This was tweeted last year. Happy birthday to this future president. I got a young picture of Hillary there. That, that didn't work out. Cute kid though. Anyway, that's going to wrap it up for Caldwell Madison Review, episode 67. Thanks for joining. If you're new to the show, uh, the podcast is available on uh, iTunes. It is available on Blog Talk Radio, Blog Talk Radio forward slash Caldwell Madison. Um, I'm going to upload this video. If you're watching this video, you already know about it. Minds.com forward slash Caldwell Madison and youtube.com forward slash all kinds of characters. I don't know how to link you to that. Uh, but if you found it, you found it. And I hope you uh, tune in for future shows. And if you uh, if you like the show or if you don't like it, um, leave a comment. Let me know what you think. And uh, until... Then, um, I'm going to wish everybody a nice weekend, and I'll hope to catch you next time.